Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And a welcome, everybody, to another amazing day right here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Hopefully you had an amazing Valentine's Day. I know I did. I still take the wife out. We got something to eat. Uh, she got me a wonderful blanket uh, that was a handmade, handmade blanket that had a bunch of shirts from past campaigns or, uh, you know, obviously shirts that we've sold in the past that, that say nice things like, uh, you know, uh, coffee first, revolution second, those types of things. So she put them all together in a blanket. It's a really nice blanket, so I greatly appreciate it. So thank you very much. Now, if you missed it yesterday, we had on General Flynn, who talked about that Senate aid package, that bill that just passed out of the Senate here this week, giving billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine, billions of dollars to Taiwan, billions of dollars to Israel, billions of dollars to billions of people that aren't Americans, probably not billions of people, but you know, billions of dollars being given to people who aren't Americans. So we dug into that. So if you missed that, you can head on over to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. And you can catch up on that show as well as catch all other shows that we do. Uh, Of course, you can always listen to this on all major podcasting platforms. But without further ado, let's dig into it. We're going to start off today with a Valentine's Day story coming from Daniel Grossberg. Now, Daniel Grossberg is a representative out of... Uh, Louisville. Now, you may remember Daniel Grossberg, uh, long, long time listeners, people who've listened for for months now, not just weeks. Normally, I say that I mean a few days or a few weeks. But for those of you who've been listening for months, you may remember Representative Daniel Grossberg as the representative who's he's currently married and reportedly straight has kids. But at one point in his life, it would appear he wrote in uh, uh, a gay magazine publication that he was transgender and enjoyed dressing and being a girl, wishes he could be a girl, but knows he's not a girl. And as far as we can tell, he's never said that he's continued with those thoughts. He is a Democrat. So obviously in today's modern day climate, if he had any inclination to be transgender, he would just go ahead and do it because well, <laughs> you're more incentivized to be a, a, a weirdo than you are not in the Democrat party. Uh, so anyways, so clearly he grew out of that. And the only reason why that is we're talking about is because this was happening at the same time that he's yelling out and about, about how, you know, these kids shouldn't be allowed, uh, to take, or, or should be allowed to make decisions, permanent lifelong decisions in regards to gender transition. They should be able to take these chemical castration dr- drugs, take off body parts, puberty blockers, just because some 12-year-old feels like, well, you know, maybe I'm a girl today, and really it's a biological boy. And so obviously him having uh, uh, dealt with gender dysmorphia of some sort when he was in college, having grown out of that, would be proof evidence and exactly why you don't allow young children to do those things. But of course, he, he couldn't admit that. So that was the only reason why that came out. That's the only reason why we talked about it. But Daniel Grossberg apparently and supposedly, and I'm saying supposedly, got a um, got some Valentine's Day from children. So this is, a, a, this is according to his Twitter. He said, 
Oh my, oh, OMG exclamation point. I just got back to my office and was surprised by some Valentine's Day cards from Youth with Planned Parenthood. So touching. Before I go into these cards, which I have questions. But anyways, before I go into these cards, um, let's just think about this for a second. First off, Youth with Planned Parenthood. Who in their right mind is letting their children near Planned Parenthood? Like... <laughs> who's like you know what <laughs> i i guess they're so against christianity and christians that they're like christians have youth groups what do godless liberals have well they send their kids to youth planned parenthood camps absolutely ridiculous and when we say youth these are some young kids when we start digging into this but anyway so he he's got these valentine's day from youth of planned parenthood here in kentucky and I'm going to read for you a few of these cards. So let me zoom in here, okay? Uh, it says, Dear Daniel Grossberg. I want you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to comment only on this one about handwriting and punctuation. Um, because these are supposedly from kids. But I actually am going to guess that they ran out of kids at their concentration. I mean, and doctrine, I mean, youth camps. And they then just started writing them themselves, okay? So... Let's uh, let's take a look here at some of these. So it says, Dear Daniel Grossberg, I usually don't pay attention to who my legislator is. Keep in mind, Dear Daniel and Grossberg, all not capitalized, okay? I not capitalized, okay? Don't is missing an apostrophe. Pay attention to who my legislator is, but no comma there. I'm 14, 14 years old. And... Uh, let's see, prefer to have a good life. I hope you, oh, something, something, something. Oh, here we go. I've got a clearer photo. Let me do this. I hope to have a good life. I hope you like music and bisexual people. <laughs> Ziri. Well, Ziri, 14 year old, first off, it's it's weird that at 14 you're asking an adult man who's like 40 years old if he likes bisexual people. <laughs> this seems like a sting operation, but Grossberg, you might just be weird enough to fall for it. Um, it also goes on to say, also, it'd be cool to have my body autonomy. Thanks. So at 14, um, doesn't know how to capitalize, use proper punctuation at all there's several times in this uh, uh card too that they miswrote words and then just like scratched them out instead of starting over with the card like i read you the card it's all wrote in marker um it's it's pretty basic it's just on construction paper but instead of starting over when they made a mistake they were just like ah we'll just scratch it out no big deal um but so here's another fun thing didn't capitalize Dear Daniel or Grossberg in this card, but did capitalize the B in bisexual. So does think bisexual is more proper than this man's name. Uh, but that's not the only card. No, we've got another card here. Um, here's, here's one. Reproductive freedom is a right. Thanks so much for joining the fight. Love, Teen Council. Um, that has some great handwriting. A lot of artisticness to it. Considering that a 14-year-old looks like it was wrote by putting a dog's crayon in its mouth and then asking it to write a write a card down. I don't think the kids wrote the other one, to be quite honest. Um, here's another one. 
Dear Daniel Grossberg, I don't, missing apostrophe and don't know you, but your apostrophe is missing in your. My legislator, the R is capitalized in legislator, but literally no other letter is, only the last letter is. Apparently, so I hope you like cats, capital C, and trans people. Because I am at least one of those things. <laughs> and I would like a nice life. Thanks. <laughs> okay, guys, I have full disclosure. I didn't fully read all of these before I went on air. Uh, I hope you like cats and trans people because I am at least one of those things. <laughs> well, guys, St. Valentine isn't just the patron saint of love and married couples for those who are unaware it's also the patron saint of mentally ill people so uh that is true it is the patron saint of mentally ill people and it would appear this person is um well certainly needing the mentally ill part because they say they are, are either a cat or trans i hope you like cats and trans people because i am at least one of those things cats and trans so either a they're trying to make a joke that they're not a cat but we have a real problem with kids thinking they're cats. So the joke is definitely falling flat. Um, so absolutely out of control cards by mentally ill people. But when we come back, we'll be digging into some pieces of legislation as well. Just thought you might enjoy that initial laugh. You're listening to the Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Hopefully you enjoyed that last segment, had a nice little laugh in there as we hear about these mentally ill children. But at the same time, they they don't know they're mentally ill. For those of you just tuning in that think we're actually laughing at like, well, they're undiagnosed mentally ill. That's what they are. But um, certainly, certainly hilarious uh, that this person is confused on whether they're a cat or trans person. But they are writing Valentine's Day cards to Representative Grossberg, which is nice. That's that's real nice. Um, but moving now to a more serious topic. John Hodgson, Representative John Hodgson, has filed House Bill 509. House Bill 509. And it's a bill taking an aim at amending would be the nicest word I could use. Um, eviscerating would be the more accurate word, our current transparency open records report laws. Now, to be honest, John Hansen and I generally, I, I consider him a friend. We have communicated occasionally. We'll call each other up. He's somebody I can call when I have a question about legislation. I've known him for several years. Um, certainly, though, most of the time, our conversations are more friendly than necessarily a source of information, though. Uh, but I... I I think, John, generally speaking, I think he's a good guy. But I think John is extremely warped by his life experiences in putting forward this piece of legislation. And what, what do I mean by warped by his life experiences? So understand, so John Hodgson, the guy who proposed this, the representative, he worked for Bevan in Bevan's administration in a higher position. Uh, like a like a high up position for the Bevan administration, and, but he also came from 
the private sector. He worked for a large corporation, I do believe, and he was also higher up there. And I think there are some frustrations, and this is, as I said, this is the nicest giving of intentions to what he's doing here that I can. He's wrong. He shouldn't be doing this. Uh, this is a bad piece of legislation. We'll dig into it here in a bit. But I'm trying to explain at least where we might be able to see the the nicest view on why he's proposing this and not just he hates government transparency, right? So where he worked for high up in government and in the private sector, I think he sees some of these like open records things as annoyances, as problems. But in private business, you know, one thing you got to keep in mind, private business is not like the public sector to a, a lot of degrees. And that's exactly why I, as a limited government individual, don't want my government messing around in the private sector. Like I want to keep them out of it as much as possible because the incentive structure is completely different and government can never begin to understand that, whether it's investing or otherwise, government should just do the job of government. It doesn't need to worry about creating private sector jobs. It doesn't need to worry about necessarily regulating private industry. It doesn't need to worry literally about involving itself in anything that should be the, the job of the private sector. Now, what government does do, it should do well and efficiently. And it's the things that government could really only do well and efficiently, which is things like, I don't know, national defense, basic shared utilities, like roads, bridges, natural resources. And then like, they should literally stop there. Now I've got to be honest, uh, for those of you who are unaware a lot of members of my family work for the government in some leadership role or some important role. I have some law enforcement that work for the government in my family. I have some higher up individuals that work in different levels of government in my family. In fact, I think I might be the only, not the only, but I, I'm, actually in the minority people who haven't worked for, uh, per se, the government as like a career, um, before, you know, and so in my family. So I, 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 when people say, Oh, Andrew, you're just saying these things. You have no idea what it's like. No, I know exactly what it's like. I know. I, I literally know uh, tons of people <laughs> that work in government are in government. Our family members in government grew up with people who were working in government. Um, and so with that in mind, there is a few things I learned, though, by talking to those people that really struck me as understanding the difference between public and private sector. And, and I remember one time, I think I was talking about a, either a golf course or a pool or something with one of my family members. And I'd mentioned that, well, you know, it may be breaking even now, but if they did X, Y, Z, you know, this place could really start making a profit. And my family member I was talking to said, oh, stop there, Drew, Andrew, <laughs> stop there. Our job is not to make a profit. If this is a taxpayer-funded place, this is a taxpayer, uh, uh, initially taxpayer purchased and maintained in place, um, in a perfect world, we would be breaking even, but that should be our goal to break even, not to make a profit, because then we're not performing any kind of service to the taxpayers if we're making a profit. 
Now, if we're breaking even, we are at least providing a service in that they would have to pay more to go somewhere else to get this. If it's like a golf course or a pool, but I would argue that maybe government shouldn't be doing golf courses and pools because they can operate and not need to pull a profit. Okay, but putting that to the side. So they're not very similar. And I think that's where um, what could be read into as John Hodgson hating government transparency is more about, um, well, some other things where it's not about hating government transparency as it is bringing over private sector thoughts to public sector realm. So let's go look at this bill. Let's see what's actually in this bill. We're seeing a lot of headlines about it, people talking about it, but what's the bill actually say? Let's take a look here. So the bill first starts off by basically requiring every employee of government, every member of a board, of a commission, basically anybody who is currently now subjected to open records requests to be given an agency-designated email account uh, to be furnished with, and, and as well as to make sure that, if applicable, they're getting agency-furnished phones as well. And so the point of this is, and, and, and the law goes on to say that then they should not, okay, uh, be talking about any official, official government agency business on personal devices, but should only be used on agency-designated email accounts, agency-designated uh, uh, phones or equipment, okay? And if the bill stopped there, I actually don't think I'd have a huge problem with this because the way the open records work now is that a, a, a submission goes in and says, I want, so, you know, I want uh, any records that you have pertaining to um, the administration of the removing of uh, Andrew Cooper Ryder's liquor license, a real thing that I've filed or not I, but somebody else has filed and I've seen the documents for well, right now, according to current law, that would include if, if somebody works for the government and then they happen to text somebody saying, I really hate Andrew Cooperwriter and they're involved and I hope we take his license, which they shouldn't do, and they're involved in that conversation, well, their personal device can be searched. If instead, though, you said, look, you literally can't talk about anything going on with any kind of government enforcement on your personal phone, only on your government-issued phone or email, and those will be subjected to open records requests, but you don't have to worry about your text messages to your daughter uh, where you're asking her, hey, did you go to school today, to be possibly the subject of being gone through by the government. That would make some sense, but the bill doesn't stop there at all. And that is where it becomes the real problem because later on the on the on and in the bill on in the bill um, it does go on to do this first it changes what a public record uh, means and is defined as when you're reading bills you need to understand parts of it so it's editing it's creating new law while also editing some old law so it's editing what a public record means so public record used to mean all books, papers, maps, photographs, cards, tapes, dis, disks, recording, software, or other documentation regardless of physical form or char characteristic which is prepared, owned, or used in the possession of or retained by a public agency. And that was it. Now it says a public record means 
a book, paper, map, photograph, card, tape, disc, recording, or electronic data file or other documentation regards the physical form or characteristic which is prepared, owned, and used in possession of or retained by a public agency and which documents, this is all new, and which documents, records, memorizes, or gives notice to a person outside of the public agency of a transaction or a final transaction such as awarding issues or amending contracts, spending agency funds, issuing a finer penalty, issuing a public declaration or announcement of an event, occurrence, determination, or decision of the public agency. A public record does not include a preliminary draft, notes, correspondence with private individuals other than the correspondence which is intended to give notice of a transaction or final action, preliminary recommendations or discussions, scheduling matters, communications of a purely personal nature unrelated to any government function, memoranda emails or text messages in which opinions are expressed or policies are or policies formulated or recommended information or documents stored or retained on device or email account that is personal property of a current or former employee officer board member or commission member. So it's pretty extreme and it has huge implications. And that's the part that's the problem. That's the part that's destroying government transparency. And that's the part we're going to have to dig into after this short break, you're listening to The Andrew Cooperator Show. If you want to reach out to the show, feel free to email info at theandrewshow.com. We'll see you back here in just a few, few short minutes. And you are back with The Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. We've been digging into this House Bill 509 proposed for by John Hodgson, which is absolutely destroying what open records even means. Right now, how the bill reads, and I, and I went through it in that last segment there, I'm not going to necessarily dig through it. It basically means that a public record is only now when they award or issue or amend a contract, when the government funds something, issues a finer penalty, or issues a public declaration or announcement of an event, occurrence, determination, or decision of the public agency. But a public record. So no longer would you be able to open records request preliminary drafts, notes, correspondence with private individuals other than the correspondence which is intended to give notice of a transaction or final action. So if, if there is some communication between the government and a private person regarding a government final action, so for an example, a government is deciding, I don't know, how to come about to a penalty or is uh, uh, issuing a, I don't know, a, a discussion about how to enforce a law. And a part of that discussion involves a private person, but it's the government communicating with somebody. And then that conversation informs how they make a public declaration, how they make a decision. You don't get to see it now. You don't get to see any correspondence with somebody that doesn't work for the government, that's being reached out to by the government, that then is a part of how they come to deciding a policy. In fact, it doesn't even matter if they work for the government or not. According to this, a public record also doesn't include preliminary recommendations or discussions. So let's say, and this really happened to me, so let's say 
the the ending up recommendation is that uh Andrew Cooperider needs to be kept in court constantly for uh his liquor license we need to keep him in court and his 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 beer license held up so that way he can't get one issued uh, so that way we can punish him for COVID stuff, even though judges have ruled in our matter. So let's say uh, that is the discussion. Well, the end result is only, hey, Andrew Cooperwriter, you're going to court to get your liquor license taken away. Now it's no longer public record. The rest of the discussion where it's purely done for political matters and something that the people who pay their checks should be held accountable to the, the, the people who are paying their, their bills, their paychecks, the citizens have a right to know how these decisions are being made. Are you targeting someone because you don't personally like them? That's a violation of constitutional law. Well, you couldn't gather now that evidence. You wouldn't know if you are being targeted by the government now because those preliminary discussions is exactly how you see, are they saying, I don't like somebody's political views, I'm, we're going to target them. And you may say, Andrew, that doesn't come up now in public. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's come up a lot of times in open records requests that I'm aware of from the state, where there has been discussions that has led to First Amendment retaliatory lawsuits in federal court against the state of Kentucky. And now this is gone. And I know John is putting this forward because he's like, look, I, I just think, I think this is honestly true. I think when he joined government, he didn't like this portion of it. He said, this doesn't make sense. Why is my personal phone to be searched? This is something he said, okay? He said, it's really hard. John Hodgson said, it's really hard to get people to come work for state government if you say, hey, Will you work for state government for a 50% pay cut? Oh, by the way, everything that you do and say in your personal device may be subject to anybody in the state of Kentucky asking to see it. Now, let me ask all you laymen out there, like me, a question. When's the last time you heard anybody in your life say, well, I was going to go work for the government, but then I found out that my phone could be open to open records requests, so I decided not to. Have you ever heard anybody say that? No. You've also never heard say somebody say, yeah, I'll take a 50% pay cut to go work for the government. Why haven't we heard people say that as laymen? Because this isn't about recruiting people to come work for state government that are road workers, that are working in the state unemployment office, that are the rake and file members of government. This is surely for those who are at the top of, of agencies. That's what he's talking about here political appointees because if why would you take a 50 percent pay cut unless you're doing it because you've already made your money this is a very high-end position it's a resume builder it's a politically appointed position it's to help out the government the party the future blah 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 like you are a political person if you're doing that you are and so the reason why we laymen have never heard anybody say that is because that's not a real concern of normal people working for government. That's a concern of those who are in there for political reasons. And I'm sorry, John Hodgson, but those who are spending our tax dollars that are only there for political reasons are the ones that should be most subjected 
to transparency laws. Those are the ones we should be most worried about holding accountable. Now, in defense of this, John said a few things. John Hodgson, Representative Hodgson, has said that one, that every single person in government is all in favor of this. You know, the governor and the treasurer and the, you know, the, the attorney general and the uh, ag commissioner, they're all in favor of it, so it's a good bill. Well, of course they're in favor of it, John. <laughs> what, I have to do less work and be less accountable to the public? <laughs> no, I'm going to be against that. Come on. Come on. And they don't get the brunt of it. Do you think, as everybody's online talking about this, that they're blaming Bashir for this bill? No. They're blaming the sponsor, which leads me to wonder why you would even ever sponsor this. Like, even if you thought this bill is really necessary, there is a lot of representatives on their way out. Why not get one of them to do it? But instead, you decide this is so important to me, I want to take the slings and arrows over this one? What are you doing? What are you doing? Now, John goes on. He was quoted as saying something else. And, and like I said, John's a friend. Um, he may not want to be my friend after this, but to me, he's still a friend. But this, this one, this one, bud, John, Representative Hodgson, you got to come on. So he said, quote here, I don't believe anything that's disclosable today would not be disclosable tomorrow under this bill. That is something he said. He said that this bill that is changing our transparency laws or open records request laws says that, no, 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 this doesn't actually change anything. Every document will be available today or tomorrow as there is today. You don't need to worry about it. So first, I thought it was the Democrats who played these weird, stupid inside-outside games of, oh, the bill isn't necessary we don't do this now. You're not outlawing anything, but at the same time, the bill's really bad. We've heard Democrats do this. I guess this is a kind of weird Republican version of, no, 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 no. This bill doesn't block any documents from being available that are currently available, but also we need this bill to block documents from being available that are currently available. <laughs> like it literally changes the definition of what documents are available and it changes, uh, um, which documents and types of documents are open to open records requests. So if those documents aren't available to us now, John, you wouldn't need to change the law. Come on. You're a smart guy, and that's a clearly dishonest statement. And it sounds ridiculous. It just does. Well, y'all, coming up after this, Jennifer Decker has gotten herself up in a little bit of scandal. We'll be going over what that is, Representative Jennifer Decker. After this short break, you're listening to The Andrew Kubrader Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Want to reach out to the show? Feel free to email info at theandrewshow.com. We'll see you back here in a few, few short minutes. Hey, hey, you're back with The Andrew Kubrader Show here in this final segment of the show, final day. We've had an action-packed day full of interesting stories. But we're going to end on this story about Jennifer Decker. So recently, Representative Decker, who's proposing a bill in the state house that would end these diversity, equity, and inclusion, these DEI departments in our colleges and universities. Now, if you don't know what DEI is, it's just this idea that you should treat people differently based upon the color of their skin. That's literally what it does. Now, generally speaking, um, the kind of minority action groups like the NAACP 
are generally for these types of things because what it says is, for an example, DEI in action is, you know, white people have to have a 4.0 GPA to get in the school, but uh, a, a black person only has to have a 3.0 GPA to get in the school because we want more black people in the school. That's the way it's actually like metastasized in colleges and universities. And that's obviously racist. Not only is it is it racist to the white people, but it's also like a bigotry, low expectations for black people saying you can't be held to the same standard as a white person. White people have to be held to a higher standard and you can't ever live up to them. Like that's like really racist, but it does make life a little bit easier uh, on, on minority types. And that's why the NAACP is so for this. But for some reason, Jennifer Decker went in front of the Shelbyville NAACP to talk about these DEI bills. And during the conversation, she'd mentioned that her father was a, a slave. Now she's white. Her father's white. And that her father was a slave and she was the daughter of a slave. Now, I've got several questions. I'll, I'll dig into the meaning behind what she said, what she's trying to say and everything else in a bit. But I first have this first question for Jennifer Decker. Why are you there in the first place? Like, do you think anybody at that NAACP meeting would ever, like, vote for you? In fact, since 1992, according to Open Secrets... There has not been one instance that they have found of a person who listed the NAACP as a place of employment, giving one dime to a Republican in a federal election. One dime. <laughs> and so, so basically, not once has anybody who's worked for the NAACP given one penny to a Republican. They've given thousands to Democrats, but they've not given one penny to a Republican in 30 years. <laughs> and yet she decides as a Republican pushing something they're obviously against to show up at their meeting thinking, oh, this is going to go great. Like that, if, if there's anything Jennifer Decker did here that was wrong, it's that. It's that. Because we also have closed elections. So like there's nothing to gain here. Like there is no value in being accountable. Like I get it. There's value to being accountable to your voter, but these people aren't your voters. They're a very fringe minority. You know because they never vote for you and they never give you money. So they're not the reason why you're getting elected. You need to represent you were elected by the people in your district. You need to represent the wishes of those who elected you. Those who are in that fringe minority that didn't vote for you are not the first people's concerns you should be worried about. But then when concerns grow and you start to see, oh, okay, this is a concern that's growing more in the area. You can do one of two things. You can either speak out against that concern and try to be a leader on the subject, or you can say, well, I'm here to represent my people. It's a, not a constitutional concern. I will adjust my representation for them. But going to them to do it, it doesn't make any sense. They need to come to your constituents and try to talk about how these are somehow good. And then you need to worry then about saying, no, 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 this is a bad idea. But going in front of them, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. But second, let's talk about what she meant by slave. So what she really meant was, and her point was kind of obviously that, you know, her father was very poor. She grew up in a very poor family. And they were basically tenant farmers. And 
you know, for those of you unaware, tenant farmers, basically they lived on a farm, they worked on the farm, but they were never paid like at all for the work that they did on the farm. They're simply allowed, here's a house, here's some food. Now go work my farm, which is a lot like slavery. Um, obviously not quite like actual chattel slavery, but I could see where a person would think that is slavery. And that was her point. And, and what the, her reasoning behind saying that was that she's saying that, look, it's not just saying that because somebody's black means they've had it worse in America historically, and they have it worse now is not accurate because there's plenty of white people who've had it worse than black people and have just as bad, if not worse histories than some black people who are currently in America. And that was the point. Now, of course, that was absolutely lost on the left. Instead, they're really zeroing in on her comments. For example, on Twitter, I saw a picture of a, a drawing of her, like a cartoon drawing of her, but in blackface, like black people somehow own the word slavery. Like nobody's ever been a slave in the entire world other than black people. So if you say you're descended from slaves, you're somehow taking over black people's culture, the same as coloring your face black or brown, whatever. Same as doing blackface is saying that, you know, anybody other than a black person has been a slave. And because they, they need that. And, and the reason why that is, is because they can't have you realize that while slavery is an awful fact of American history, it isn't unique to America. They don't want you to like realize that because if you do, you suddenly might be like, oh yeah, history sucks, but like that's history. And let's talk about today. They don't want you to say that. Now, Joseph Girth, of course, went on to write an opinion article about how this is somehow proof that DEI is needed. This is what he said. Okay, so he said this about DEI programs not being around when Dick Decker went to school. Joseph Girth is a writer for the Courier Journal. He said, if they had been, she might have learned that a few white people in America, short of those who've been trafficked for sex, should ever claim something like that. It's deeply offensive to those who are descendants of actual slaves to hear a white person claim they're descendant of slaves. Well, I got news for you, Girth. I'm about to offend you. I'm about to offend you. Might want to cover your ears, but before I offend you, Girth, DEI is clearly not about the history of slavery, like you just tried to claim. DEI has nothing to do with history. You know how I know that? You know how you can know that? Because the DEI department is not a part of the history department. It's a part of HR. It's a part of the guidance department at schools, guidance counselors. It's not Mrs. Adams, the history teacher, who's heading up the DEI department, okay? DEI has nothing to do with history. Nothing. Or the teaching of history. Here's the second thing, Gert. Get ready to cover your ears. I'm white. Shocking. And I'm descendant from slaves. Not only am I 26% Jewish, which those of you who don't know your history very well, if you want to talk about uh, slaves over the course of history, we can talk about Jewish history here. Some would say, you know, some of the, the most prolific first slaves that people, most people think of, well, not most people think of when they said the word slavery, obviously because of the conditioning. But when you read the Bible, <laughs> the Jews were slaves, okay? But also, not only... Because I'm Jewish, do I have slaves at some point in my history? 
But also, in my family tree, there is a number of slaves, not because black slaves, and not because of some sort of weird forced rape type scenarios. No, it's because freedmen joined a part of my family tree. So not only am I descendant of Jewish slaves, I'm also descendant of black slaves, and I'm white as snow. But that's offensive. Remember, it's the left that tells us that the right's the ones who don't want to treat, teach history. It's the right that doesn't want to teach history. Joseph Girth is over here saying that my family's history is now racist and offensive to him. <laughs> and, and we're the ones who don't want to teach history. Absolutely ridiculous. But what do you expect out of Girth? It's funny, he posted on Twitter this, this email he supposedly got, this racist email he got. You can go on his Twitter if you want to read it. It's pretty awful. Has good grammar, though. Weird, right? 14-year-old bisexual people, not good grammar. Racist people emailing Girth, supposedly great grammar. And I say supposedly because Girth did go as far, too, to block out the email of who sent it. Now, I'm not going to say it's fake for a fact. But why would Joseph Girth, the kind of guy that writes articles like this, block out the email address of somebody that's so racist? Unless, of course, he doesn't want you realizing that it was a hoax. That's, that's a possible reason why. That is a possible reason why, and I want to put it past him. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining me. We'll see you back here tomorrow for the last episode of the week. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs>